How many of you have kids or have had kids or, okay. So would you ever think of feeding them a diet of ice cream cookies and gummy bears and, I mean, that's all. Would you do that? No. Cause they wouldn't grow very healthy, would they? They like that stuff. Yeah. Okay. I like that stuff a little too much. But you know what? We need, needed to feed our children broccoli sometimes. And we needed to feed our kids, um, chicken or hamburgers or something more substantial than gummy bears and ice cream, right? Okay, so I'm calling this a broccoli message this morning because this isn't the kind of thing that's going to have you, you know, shouting and running around the sanctuary, but it's stuff we need. It's stuff to nourish us and grow us up. Amen? Good morning. Glad you're here this morning. Okay, so let's dive in. A few weeks ago, um, Dave and I were watching uh, a service from that previously recorded from um, Southwest Believers Convention. And the person preaching was Jeremy Pearsons. And if you don't know who Jeremy Pearsons is, he's the son of George and Terry Pearsons, who pastor Eagle Mountain Church near Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, Brother Jeremy is also the grandson of Kenneth and Gloria Copeland. So he has quite a legacy of faith. Um, and But I found it interesting what he said when he started the message, because he said that when the Lord began leading him um, into the topic he was going to address, the very first thing he did, and then he said the first thing he always does, and what every young faith preacher ought to do, he went to Keith Moore's website and searched for what he's already said on the subject. And, and as he got quite a laugh on that one. But you know what? He was being wise. He was going to one of his elders and in the faith and seeking wisdom. Amen? So when the Lord started giving me glimpses of what I'm sharing with you this morning, I did the very same thing. I said, yo, Keith, what have you got for me? And I didn't say that. I went to Keith Moore's website and I searched. And it turns out he taught a 15-part series on this topic. We'll be out by four. So that'll work, right? So anyway, before you panic, you're getting the most basic condensed version of a genuinely massive topic that is incredibly important in our Christian life. And my husband commented to me the other day that whenever he's asked to prepare a message, it seems like God leads him to study something and to preach or teach on it that he needs to hear. And the same is true with me. So believe me, realize that what I'm sharing with you this morning, I'm preaching to myself. And like a lot. Okay. So our message today is titled judge not and let's pray. Thank you, father, for bringing us together around your word this morning. Give us your grace to hear with the ears of our heart to what the spirit is teaching us. Help me to approach your word in humility, knowing that correction from you is meant for my good. Help me to receive your correction and make the necessary changes in my life so that I may walk in deeper intimacy with you. May our lives, our thoughts, and our words reflect the goodness of God in the land of the living. Lord, we praise you this morning because your word is good, because you are good always, and your word is true. We thank you for it. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're talking about judgment. And it's beneficial to tell you what we're not talking about as well as what we are talking about. So it's not judgment as far as whether we're saved or not. That's not the judgment we're talking about. We're also not talking about like the judgment seat of Christ where we will stand and where our works will be judged to determine what our rewards will be in heaven. That's not where we're going. Excuse me. The judgment we're talking about today is when we pass judgment on others. When we see something in the life of another person and we criticize that person, whether we do it mentally or we actually say it out loud, when we take it upon ourselves to correct them or worse, punish or ostracize them, when we bring judgment against others, we step out from under the protection of God because it is not our place to judge ever. And this goes for all people, even politicians. I'll just leave that there. Not just other Christians. This goes for everyone. We are called to walk in love. We are not called to judge. We are not the Holy Spirit. Thank God for that. And this, when we do judge, gives Satan the right to judge us and bring destruction into our lives. And I don't know about you, but I do not want to give the enemy any excuse to get at me in any way. Amen? Excuse me. So God, who is our loving Father, has set boundaries for us in the way we should think, act, speak, and live. Within those boundaries, we are protected. We are provided for. But when we stray outside those boundaries, it puts us in the enemy's territory, which is exactly where the enemy wants us, where he can get to us. You know why he wants to get to us? Because he hates us. Because he's mean. He's just a mean, stinking scoundrel. And he hates us, not because we're so bad, but because we love God. Because above all, he hates God. He hates everything to do with God. He hates God's people. Amen? So that's why. So we know about boundaries, especially those of us who have had children or been around children. We know about boundaries. We use them for protection, our own protection and our children's protection. And I want to share a story with you, and it has nothing to do with children. It has to do, excuse me, it has to do with when I was a kid. I think I was 10 or 11 years old, and my parents loaded us up into the station wagon and drove us uh, to, it wasn't called the Humane Society at the time. It was a place where we're from, and anybody from Western New York has heard of Lollipop Farm. Lollipop Farm is a humane society where you can go and adopt cats and dogs and so on. Um, but we'd never been there, so we were all excited, you know, all of us kids in the car. And we went to Lollipop Farm, and we were looking at puppies. So we found a puppy. We just thought he was so cute, even though the tag on the cage said, female, poodle plus. Nope, it was a male, and I think he was more terrier than anything else. But um, we adopted Chester. That's what we named him. Where we came up with that, I have no idea. But we adopted Chester. And Chester, if he had been smart enough to realize what he had in our home, he was a pampered pooch, let me tell you. Because my mother had heard from one of her friends that the best thing to feed dogs is liver. 
So I had to sometimes help her cook the liver. And so literally we would cook liver and I think she would mix it with his dry food. And, but he lived on liver and he had the run of the house. He slept under my parents' bed every night. He had life made in this house. But this dog was not the brightest bulb on the tree because every time the door opened to the outside, if he was anywhere in the vicinity of that door, that dog was out the door and he was running. Well, when he ran out the door, he was no longer in the boundary we had set for him. Not on a leash in the yard where he could run and play and be safe. Nope. He just took off. And we lived on a pretty busy street at the time. And two different times, that dog was hit by a car and he'd get a broken leg. And then, being a very bright puppy, he would chew on that cast until it came off. So this is a messed up dog. But had he remained within the boundaries we had set for him, he would have been well-fed, loved, had people to play with all the time, have everything he needed. When he got out from under our protection, out of the boundaries set for him, he's running off down the street thinking, ha ha, I'll show you. And then he gets hit by a car. Not real smart. Okay. So, excuse me. We have boundaries as well. We're going to look at those because we can find them in the word. It's interesting to keep in mind a universal principle in the word because it applies here as well. And basically, that universal principle is we reap what we sow, right? We know this is true regarding our finances. Give, and it shall be given unto you. We sow sparingly, we reap sparingly. We sow generously, we reap generously. Are you with me? Okay. Um, Seek and you will find. We forgive, then we will be forgiven, right? It's always that reciprocal. It's safe to say that this principle applies to many, if not all, areas of our lives. And today, though, we're talking about judgment and why it is so important to recognize it and get rid of it. Now, how do you want God to deal with you? How does God deal with us? He deals with me the way I deal with you. Right? What I sow, I reap. Because he, and that's the way he's going to deal with all of us. He's the righteous judge of all the earth. Amen? Let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to be throwing a lot of scripture at you because, honestly, um, that's truth. Scripture's truth. Okay, well, that's a start. And, um, And, honestly, anything I say apart from scripture is going to mean nothing anyway. So... We're going to look at the word. Excuse me. And Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5 says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? This I, I, I got this mental picture when I was reading this scripture, so... I'm going to look a little weird here for a minute, but stick with me. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own? Uh, Where am I? Can't even see where I am. Okay. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove that speck in your eye and look, 
A plank is in my own eye. Let me remove this. Oh, excuse me. Um, hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. I like what Brother Keith says because he said uh, uh, the speck is just tiny. He said the um, the plank is like a two-by-four across your head. You can't see around that. You're going to be of no use to anyone. Turn the critical eye. When we start thinking criticism of other people, whether we say it or not, turn that critical eye back around toward us. Where am I missing it? Where can I make adjustments in the way I live to line up with God? This is the only way to avoid being judged. 1 Corinthians 11.31 tells us, For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. There it is right there. Do you want to be judged? Do you want to be judged? I don't want to be judged. But the only way I can avoid it is if I judge myself first. Judging ourselves requires humility and the willingness to admit when we've missed it. We're going to look at the book of Job for a few minutes. We're familiar with the beginning of the book when God is speaking with Satan, which is a little unnerving to begin with, but there it is. And God asks Satan where he's come from, and Satan responds that he's from going to and fro on the earth. In verse 8 we read, excuse me, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? If you're honest, you'll admit that verse 8 just doesn't sit so comfortably inside, does it? It feels unfair to Job. But let's look at verse 8 in the Young's literal transition. And Jehovah said unto the adversary, Have you set your heart against my servant Job? It's a lot different, isn't it? It's not like God's not placing Job on a silver platter and handing him over to the enemy. God is recognizing that Satan hates Job, hates that Job has the favor of God on his life, and he hates that Job is an upright and godly man who is rich and influential. So the enemy begins accusing Job to God by saying that Job's only righteous because God keeps him protected. He has placed a hedge around him, which is true. But let's look a little deeper. Something that I'm sure is not unique to Florida, though I used to say it's only here, it's that it only takes the minutest crack for insects to get into our homes. Insects and nasty little things. And once they're in, they take over. Now, we put down ant traps when we get those teeny tiny ants in the house. You can spray the daylights out of your baseboards and around the perimeter of your house, but if we don't eliminate their access, they're going to come back. The enemy will search us until he finds the tiniest chink in our armor, an area where we are missing it, and he swoops in to judge us guilty in that area and bring destruction in our lives. Again, we're not talking about, well, this means I'm not saved. No, we are saved, right? If you have asked Jesus Christ into your heart and life, that you've acknowledged that he is the son of God, that he's been raised from, he died on our behalf, 
and has been raised from the dead, you are saved. But we still have to live in in a realm where Satan is considered the God of this earth. So we need to know how to live in this place. If I move to another country, I'm still who I am. I still have the same background I have. But I need to learn how to live according to the rules of that country. Amen? We are citizens of heaven, but we have to know how to wisely live in this realm. So uh, we need to, we have to remain diligent to guard ourselves. Because 2 Corinthians 2.11 in Young's literal again, warns us not to be overreached by the adversary. The same verse also tells us that we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. The Amplified Classic says we are not ignorant of his wiles and intentions. I don't think I gave you guys this scripture because I was just looking at different um, uh, versions for the wording. And the voice states it this way, and I like this. We don't want to be naive and then fall prey to his schemes because he is a schemer. Okay? Revelation 12.10 says this, and it's beautiful. But it's a truth we have to hold on to. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. The accuser of the brethren is still walking the earth today. So what do you think he's doing night and day? He's looking for ways that he can accuse us to God. Eventually, he will be cast down and thrown into the pit of hell forever in the lake of fire. Right now, we still have to keep our armor on, as Shannon was talking about Wednesday night. And we need to walk through this earth wisely. Now, the enemy couldn't have gotten to Job had he not left the tiniest opening. And we believe from reading the whole book that Job left the door open to the enemy's judgment through fear. He was afraid that his children were going to offend God in some way. And he was constantly offering sacrifices on their behalf to keep them safe. But he didn't need to be in fear. Amen? In Job 3.25, he said, For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded, this happened to me. If Job is in fear, then he's not in faith. It's been said that fear is misplaced faith in the devil. So fear is not something to mess with. Now, I found it interesting. I was looking at the um, Oxford Jewish Bible. And it, that whole section of after Job had lost everything. And believe me, he saw great devastation. I mean, his life imploded in a day. Um, but when his three friends came to him uh, in the Oxford Jewish Bible, it says his friends came to sit Shiva with him. Is anyone familiar with what Shiva is? Kind of. Okay. So Shiva is a period of seven days when Orthodox Jews who have had a family member die remain at home and friends and and they remain at home in order to mourn their loved one. Um, 
so their friends and extended family come and they mourn with them. The mourners, the, the people who's had that close family member die, they don't leave their homes for those seven days. They sit often very low to the ground and remember the loved one who has died. They don't do any work. Now, when friends visit, they could bring food. They might wash dishes. They might do a little cleaning or run a load of laundry for them. Um, but their purpose in being there is to sit Shiva with the mourners. In other words, to join them in their mourning so they're not alone. They don't make idle chit-chat during this time. And in fact, the visitors take their cues from the mourners. And typically, they wait for the mourner to speak before they ever say a word. I don't know if you've noticed in the book of Job, but we see that Job and his friends, once they've come, they sit in silence for seven days. I think the only way I could sit in silence for seven days is to be in a coma. But I pray I never have to experience that. Okay? But Job is the one who broke the silence, which is typical. The other, the other friends wouldn't have said anything until Job breaks the silence. But he broke the silence to say, to curse the day he was born. Now, all that was extra, no charge. But it's important to see that Job's friends came to comfort him, but they stayed to accuse him. And when Job finally did speak, he began to judge God. And that's something we don't want to do. He chose to judge God. We'll come back to Job in a little bit. First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Again, I go, refer to Shannon on Wednesday, and she talked about, and I appreciated this, that the enemy only has the ability to roar. The only way he can devour, because it says here whom he, whom he may devour, he may only devour you if you let him. I don't know about you. Well, yes, I do know about you. We don't have to let the enemy devour us. Amen? Yes. Ephesians 4.27 tells us not to give place to the devil. James 2.8-11 says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you will love your, enemy, love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin, and you are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. That may seem like, where'd that come from? Here's the thing. If we're doing our best to live our lives the way we believe God wants us to do, but we still get those attitudes when we see a preacher on TV who's asking for money, and we're thinking, those preachers, all they want is money. We're judging that one. And if I'm judging that person or any person, that president, we won't go there. If I'm judging anyone, then I'm putting myself in a position to be judged. I'm breaking that one part of the law. And so if I break any part of the law, I'm guilty of breaking the whole thing. Okay? The rest of, from that point, we go to verses 12 to 13. It says, and this again is still in James 2, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment 
without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Excuse me. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Say that with me. Mercy triumphs over judgment. When you have missed it, when I have missed it, we feel terrible. Would you agree? Have you experienced that? Have you ever said something you shouldn't have said or gotten nasty with someone you shouldn't have gotten nasty with? And afterward, if you're honest with yourself, you're like, I got to say this. We were with our, a couple of our grandchildren this weekend, and our three-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter is so dramatic. I don't know where she gets it from. But she was so funny when we said that we had to go home now, and she didn't want Grandma to go. Instantly, she went, the shoulders drooped, the head went down. So, so truly, we want mercy. We don't want judgment. Amen? I want mercy, but in order to receive it, I have to sow it. I have to give mercy. James 4.10 reads, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. The world would tell you that if you are humble, that means you're weak. And that's not true. That is not true. That's the greatest strength to remain humble when everything in you just wants to fight for your rights or fight and say, no, this is wrong. Humility is strength in action. We humble ourselves in the sight of God when we make his word first place and give it the seat of authority in our lives. So judgment. James 5.9 in the Amplified Classic tells us, do not complain, brethren, against one another. Sounds like judging to me. So that you yourselves may not be judged. Look, the judge is already standing at the very door. Is that word judge capitalized? Yeah, who's that mean? It means, yeah, the Lord. If he's standing at the door, he's seeing what we're doing, right? And he is the judge. Am I the judge? Oh, no. I am not the judge. He's there. Let him do what he has the right to do. Titus 3, 1 and 2, in the, again, in the Amplified Classic, it begins with remind people, and then we have a list of some things that we're to be reminded of. To be submissive to our magistrates and authorities. That means police, judges, even politicians who are in authority. Be submissive to their authority, to be obedient, to be prepared and willing to do any upright and honorable work. We should not consider any work beneath us. Amen? But this is where I wanted to get to. To remind people, now verse 2, to slander or abuse or speak evil of no one. No one. To avoid being contentious. To be forbearing, yielding, gentle, and conciliatory, and to show unqualified courtesy toward everybody. Now, do you see anything in this that says, as long as they're saved? As long as you like them? As long as they agree with you? I don't. I don't see that. To everyone. First Peter 2, 1 says, therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. 
So that's a lot to take in, but we need to lay those aside so that they're not in our lives. Ephesians 4, 29 to 32 says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. Edification simply means building up. Everything I say to anyone should be for the purpose of building them up, not tearing them down. That it may impart grace to the hearers and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So grieving the Holy Spirit of God is in there in the same sentence with make sure no corrupt communication is coming out of my mouth. Yeah, it is. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Matthew 12.36 says, But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, and that men isn't just for men, that's mankind, so we're included in that. I'm hearing the bells of heaven. It's beautiful. People online can't hear that, but it's lovely. Okay? Don't worry about it. But I say to you uh, that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. That's a sobering thought. Okay. What does this mean for us in practical terms? Because I don't know about you. I said that a lot today, haven't I? Um, I like when I hear truth from the word, but then I'm also told, okay, this is how we apply it in life, right? Because we're living life. We need to apply it. First, we must become sensitive enough to recognize when we are judging someone, even just in our thoughts. The word tells us that out of the abundance of, of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's in Matthew 12, 34. So, <clears throat> excuse me, the enemy brings thoughts to us. Sometimes he just machine guns us with thoughts. When we latch onto them, when we meditate on them, then it takes those thoughts and they get into our heart. What we give attention to will grow in us. What we ignore will die. So these thoughts come to us, we roll them over and over in our minds, and eventually they make their way out of our mouths. Have you, and I said before, have you ever said anything that later you wish you hadn't said? I'm not the only one. So we can avoid this by obeying 2 Corinthians 10.5, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Christ walked the earth, and we have to follow his example. He always walked in love. Even in correction, he loved because he wanted to show people a way out of what they were living in. We are not called as Christians to be the Holy Ghost police and point out every flaw and fault we see in people. We are not called to judge. Say that with me. We are not called to judge. We are called to walk in love. So what do I do when I see or become aware of something that seems glaringly wrong in another person? I immediately turn that mental finger that I'm pointing at people back toward myself. I examine myself 
Am I guilty of the same thing? Again, let's go back to, I don't have to be doing exactly the same thing someone's doing, but if they're messing up, I have messed up in my life. Amen? I think it's safe to say we have all messed up in our lives. So we take that finger that we're pointing at them in our minds and we turn it back on us. Am I guilty of the same thing? Or of something equally contrary to my walk of faith? Then I choose to show compassion to that person, walking in love toward him or her. And then you might want to ask, well, what if what they're doing is completely contrary to the word? Think about it. Condemnation and ridicule will never restore a soul to God. Romans 2.4 tells us, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? He wants us to display the goodness of God in this world so people will see how good God is and want to run to him. Let's face it, the Lord put up with a lot of junk from us before and since we've been saved. Thank God he's forgiven us. We need to extend the same mercy and grace to others that he has shown to us. Remember, mercy triumphs over judgment. Choosing to not point out someone's error does not mean that they aren't in error. Did you get that? I don't have to point it out. I don't have to. It doesn't mean that I think, oh, it's okay. I'm not winking at sin. I'm not winking at, at a wrong lifestyle. I'm not winking at, um, I'm not winking at anything. It simply means that I'm entrusting them to God who will lovingly show them what is right. Then he'll provide the grace to them to repent and make necessary judgment make necessary adjustments. And what if they don't? What if they never repent? What if they never change? That's between them and God. I am not, I am never excused from the command to walk in love toward all men. We are not. That is not conditional. Ephesians 5, 2 says, and, excuse me, and walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Galatians 6.1 in the Amplified Classic says, Brethren, so this is being written to Christians, right? Okay. Brethren, if any person is overtaken in misconduct or sin of any sort, You who are spiritual, and that just means who are responsive to and controlled by the Spirit, should set him right and restore and reinstate him without any sense of superiority and with all gentleness, keeping an attentive eye on yourself, lest you should be tempted also. It's not my place to condemn If I'm able to share the love of God with someone who may be in error, it's only because I can say to them, listen, I've done worse. I've been in the same boat. Let me tell you how the Lord rescued me. Let me tell you how he brought me to a better place. Amen? 
Ephesians 4.32 says, and be kind to one another. I think we looked at this already, and that's okay. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. When did everything turn around for Job? When he repented. He humbled himself. And this is after when he, for, for chapter upon chapter, he's saying, I want God to talk to me. I want God to tell me why this is happening. I want to state my case before God and tell him how he's wrong. Woo! So then when God shows up, and he's like, yeah, where were you when I was laying the foundation of the world? Where were you when blah, blah, blah? When he was confronted with the truth, he humbled himself. He judged himself. He admitted that he had said things he shouldn't have said. And then literally, it says this in the passage, he put his hand over his mouth. And what was Job's outcome for humbling himself and for repenting? God restored his family, he, his home. He gave him twice as much as he had before destruction came into his life. Amen? God is always for our good. Always. But he's not going to excuse sin. He's not going to excuse when we behave badly. We represent him. Always. And our behavior, our conduct, our lives should honor him every day. Will we miss it? Probably. Probably. We're still walking around in this flesh. We still have thoughts that come to us every day. Can Christians be judged? Yeah, they can. Because can Christians still sin? Yeah, they can. We can. But thank God we can repent. And we're told in the word that when we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But what if I sin tomorrow? Then I confess my sin. And he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sin then too and cleanse me from all righteousness. He is always for us. We represent him. And that's an important thing to always keep in mind. But anytime you're tempted with the thought, a judgmental thought towards someone, wait a minute, what's going on in me? Am I seeing something of myself I don't like in that person? Even if I'm not, where have I missed it? We need to humble ourselves. We need to submit ourselves to the word of God and do what Jesus did. And that's walk in love every day with every person. Until we leave this earth, we will have opportunities to judge other people. As long as we live in this flesh, we can't escape that. The temptation will be there. But in God, we have the grace to resist temptation. Amen? Amen. Amen. I hope this helped you. It helped me. And it's something I'm going to have to remind myself of every day. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so, so much for your word. We thank you, Father, that no matter how we screw up or how often we screw up, you always forgive us. Thank you that you always give us the grace to humble ourselves, to repent, 
and to make the necessary adjustments in our lives that we may walk according to the word of God. Thank you for it, Father. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We love you today. In Jesus' name we pray. And live stream, thank you for being with us today. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. And you are dismissed.